Okay, we have, today is about joy. It's time to celebrate. We're going to start with an infant dedication. Nikki, come on up here. Daniel, and bring all of your clan up here. Some of you that go back a long ways in our church may remember the Wagners, um, Joanne and Bill. There he is. And when I first got here, Nikki was uh, in the youth group. She was in her final year in the youth group, which was my first year. Will, where's Will? There's Will. He just graduated last year. He was in our youth group. So uh, this is Nikki. I had the privilege of marrying her. I have to stand up here because Daniel is taller than me. I don't like people that are taller than me. <laughs> I forgot how tall you were until yeah. you walked in. Okay, hold on. All right, look at this. I don't look up to too many people. That sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? <laughs> so I had the privilege of marrying them, and this is their new daughter, Lily. When is Lily born? July 28th. July 28th. She's not very old. No, four months. I got to look at her again. Did you prep her so that she screams and does all that? Yep. Okay, good. <laughs> wow, what a sweetheart. Can I hold her? Yeah. Come here. Oh, I have 11 grandchildren. <laughs> there she goes, there she goes. That's what we want. You're supposed to scream because I have a mic right here. Do you want to join my family? You'd be the youngest one. Look at that. You know, it's really remarkable. In the first century when Jesus appeared on the scene, children were the lowest in society. I know you can scream as loud as you want. It's okay. Yeah. Do you want to go see your mom again? Okay. Or do you? Oh, I know what it is. I always carry a highlighter for the grandkids, and I forgot one. There you go. There's your mom. (laughs) Children were the lowest in society. They were below the slaves. Because you know why? It was a shame and honor context. And so what happens if, if a child grew up that had a bad reputation, then the whole family was cursed because of that. They were dishonored. That's why in the Old Testament, it was very common among all the nations, if your children were, uh, had a bad name. Now think about this, teenagers. You could stone them and kill them. We should bring that back. No, wait a minute, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> and so when Jesus came along and talks about having a childlike faith and welcoming the children, remember the disciples said, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. Get the kids away. And he said, no, and he welcomes the children. Picture him doing that on his knee, taking a little child with a twinkle in his eye and overturning world history. All the values of the ancient world got overturned because he's saying that this is what the kingdom is like right here, this type of faith. Isn't that a great picture? So I'm really proud of you that you want to dedicate her to the Lord. So the first question I have is, you want to dedicate her to the Lord, are you willing to make the commitment to walk faithfully? Yeah, and to raise her to believe in all the things that you were raised with. And I was raised with her. Yeah. And I know your hearts because I was the one that married you. And that was especially fun. Normally we have to co- ask the congregation, but, but this is not your church. So I'm going to ask your family. Look at all these people. Wow. This is like multiplication, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Are you guys willing to stand with them and help them and support them uh, as much as you're able to carry out their values? So say yes. 
Yes? And for those of you that have a relationship with him, are you willing to do the same? Yeah. What a great thing. So I'm going to pray for you, Lily. You can scream all you want because that's what gets you into the kingdom. Okay? Acting like a little child. Father, thank you for Lily. Lord, what a blessing she already is. Ooh, what a sweetheart. Yeah, you don't want to suck my thumb. You can suck your thumb, though. <laughs> Lord, thank you for blessing um, the Rankins with her. What a special treat. And uh, I pray, Lord, that even from a very young age, that your spirit would be very active in her life. And Lord, thank you for Nikki and Daniel. What an honor it is to, to know them, to have married them. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would give them the strength in those, those rough days as she grows when life gets tough to continue to walk faithfully. Thank you, Lord, for blessing them because uh, their children are a blessing from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. It's good to have all of you. Thank you for coming and joining us today, the last day of Advent. So, goodbye. Okay, today is joy. We're celebrating joy, so it's time to celebrate. This is Christmas week, and that's partly why our numbers are down. Some of you have already, some of them have already left. The pagans have left. So, nope, just kidding. <laughs> so let me remind you why we have the candles here. We've been going through this every week because this sets the stage for how we're approaching Advent. The, the ancient world was a very dark place. We have that in... Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah gives us almost all of our Christmas prophecies. Let's put Isaiah 9 up there so you can see it. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So long ago in many of your traditions, we started using candles for Advent. And some of you don't come from Advent traditions, so this is new for you. And so the candle symbolizes that light. It symbolizes the light of Jesus, the, the Messiah, coming into the world and bringing about forgiveness of sin. But it's more than that because Jesus said that as faithful followers, we are the light of the world. And he says, don't hide that light under a bushel, let it shine. And so the light grows throughout Advent. We light a different candle symbolizing what we're talking about, in this case, joy. But not more than that, it symbolizes the growing church and the light that's being spread around the world. So that's what that is all about. So you have to understand the ancient world was a very, very dark place, very superstitious. They didn't understand anything like we do today. They didn't have science. So everything was based on superstition, everything. And therefore, it's all based on the gods. So it was a very dark place. And in the middle of that, you have a very small remnant of people that are faithful followers. Isaiah's dream was, we've read this every time, Isaiah's dream was that there would be a people, a people of faith who would have the Holy Spirit, who would turn around and love God freely and bring out to the world hope, peace, love, today, joy. Bring those out to the world. How else is the world going to see it? There's no banner. There's no billboard out there talking about this. It, the world sees it through us. So it was a very dark place. And it was a very small remnant. Even David knew that the nation were not, was not really following God in here. He knew that. If you read the Psalms carefully, he talks about that. That to his own people didn't really follow the Lord. They were just following him. What, did, what happened with Elijah when he got tired? 
He said, there's no one else alive on the earth except me. And God said, no, there's actually 7,000, which is not very many in a big nation. There's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, they're not worshiping other gods. You just don't know them. All through history, there's been a remnant of Christians, okay, believers. And so the world was very dark for them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them like we do. They didn't understand the whole concept of, of what it means for God to forgive them. And they're trying their hardest to uh, follow the law. Uh, when they came back, we're going to read some passages in just a minute of when they, had, when they were scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire when they destroyed Jerusalem. So they, they destroyed, God destroyed, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, tore down this fabulous temple that Solomon had built, and they exiled all of them, took them, they scattered around. Ezekiel tells us that they would sit on the river banks and weep because they would remember the temple. So Isaiah, in the middle of Isaiah, it's actually all throughout Isaiah, he talks about joy. And his dream was that there would one day be a people filled with joy that could reveal that joy to the world a lost world, a dark world. And so I'm going to read you three passages. There are plenty. There's tons of them in Isaiah. It's filled with language about the spirit and about joy, but it's all future for them. So right now, when this section here I'm going to read, they're already, they're exiled to another country. They're, uh, they're sitting on the riverbanks weeping. They're missing. They're all scattered. That was a Babylonian uh, process. They scattered them around the Babylonian empire and uh, they're remembering and this is what God says in the middle of that very dark time. The first one comes in Isaiah 42, verse 10. Here's what he says. Sing to the Lord. Now, remember, he's talking to people that are very discouraged. It's a dark time. Sing to the Lord a, a, a new song. <clears throat> His praise from the ends of the earth. And a little bit later on, chapter 11. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. See, one of the things that we see about God all the way through the scriptures is that he never, ever gives up. He never does. There's no example of him giving up on people, his people, the faithful ones, the faithful ones. So when we go over to chapter 44, here's what he says there. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. So there's another command to sing. When we go over to chapter 49, we see it again. Like I said, this book is filled with these, these prophetic commands to jump up and down and dance and sing for joy. Chapter 49. Verse 13, shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Now, these are all said to people that are, that are they're on, they're, they're exiled around the world. Okay? Then they come back. And this, the end of Isaiah, they're back in the land. You could picture the discouragement. The uh, torn Jerusalem is destroyed, the great city, the temple nothing there. And they build a ramshackle temple building so they could get back to worshiping God. Uh, but the problem is the Holy of Holies was empty. You see, the glory of the Lord never returned. It was just an empty building. And so they understood that the reason they were exiled was because of sin. They understood that. And so under Ezra and Nehemiah, two of the last books chronologically in what we call the Old Testament. 
they come, they gather all the people and they read the law to them. They knew that they had sinned. That's why they had been exiled. So they made a commitment to never do that again. Does that sound good? To always honor the Lord and the law. This actually produced the atmosphere that generated the Pharisees. It was all intended with good hearts. We don't ever want to sin again. So let's figure out what a sin is and let's put in place rules so that we never actually get there. So if we're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, let's write down all the ways you cannot work, what you cannot carry. So it was intended with a good heart. They didn't want to sin again because they wanted the Lord to come back. They wanted the glory of the Lord to return and it didn't happen. The first time the glory of the Lord returned was over 400 years later when Jesus walked into the temple. But it never went to the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies was empty from that time on because God, God had another place. So when you look at the advent of the ancient people, what they were anticipating, they were, excuse me one second. What they were anticipating was a a king like David, a Davidic figure, a Messiah who would come and rescue them and restore the greatness of the kingdom, fill the temple with the glory, get rid of the Romans, do all that, break the Roman power, usher in all the good things that they kept dreaming of that Isaiah talks about. And that didn't happen. Oh, the Messiah came. But what he brought was forgiveness of sins. That's what he brought. Actually, that was the most important thing. They just didn't recognize it. Okay? So now we're going to jump over to uh, Mary, story of Mary, because this is a classic example of how joy fits in a fallen world. Thank you for reading. Um, Oh, they're gone. So thank you for reading uh, the story of Mary. Can I listen to this story as we go through it? Okay. The opening word in the NIV, it says, uh, angel went to her and said, greetings. I know why they translated greetings. It's actually the word, the command to rejoice. And the older translations actually say rejoice. But this says greetings because it was a common greeting. But when you have an angel show up, uh, you know, that's a little bit scary. And then he shows up and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And so Mary's not so sure about this. Okay, what does she say? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Why would, why would she be troubled? Okay, now picture, picture this time in history, all the way back to Genesis. God had promised there's going to come a son who's going to defeat Satan. And so as the years go by, you can imagine the mothers in Israel, this is why it was so important to have children. This is part of their honor system. Is this the one? This son, is he the one? 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 And that begins this long quest for this son, this Messiah that's going to be born, that's going to put to rights all that's wrong. Okay, now she doesn't quite know why the angel has confronted her with this wonderful greeting, rejoice. But she does have a history, okay? Whenever God appears out of nowhere, it's usually not a good thing. Jonah ran the other direction. Gideon didn't want to believe it. Jeremiah wept because of what he had to do. Ezekiel lost his wife because the Lord said, I'm taking your wife today as, an, as a picture. 
And you go down through all the prophets. Whenever God spoke directly, it was not a positive thing. It was a necessary thing for the kingdom, but it wasn't one of those heartwarming, oh, I'm so glad the Lord's talking to me. That's not the way it worked. What would have happened if Abraham had said no? You could picture God, Abraham out under the stars. We're told in Joshua that he was one of the stargazers, the worshipers of the stars. And God spoke to him in his language, the stars. He said, go. What if he had said no? You look down through the history, that, that line of faithful people. God chose faithful people. What if any of them had said no? What if a teenager who's not even pregnant or married said no? That's how much confidence God has in his people. That he would place the entire weight of redemptive history on the shoulders of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way down to Mary. No wonder she's a little unsure about this because it doesn't usually bring heartwarming positive things when an angel appears. But what does he say? He goes on from there. The angel said to her, so he's aware of her sensitivity here. And he's, this is a picture of how God relates to us, okay? Because God is speaking through the angel. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. Guess what, Mary? You are the one. Thousands of years, and you're the one. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, now she just found out she's the one. Does she rejoice? Mm -mm. How can this possibly be? I am a virgin. How can this be? You can feel the sensitivity of God, the compassion, as the angel is in dialogue with her. Angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is a turning point. This is the telling point in world history. What does she do? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. We don't have any evidence that there's rejoicing at this point. She's probably terrified. He did just tell her, Elizabeth, her cousin, is going to have a child, John the Baptist, the forerunner. So she immediately runs to Elizabeth's house. And when she runs in, John the Baptist, still in the womb, he hasn't been bored, leaps for joy because of the Holy Spirit. That's the moment at which she begins to realize this is the most incredible thing in world history. So what does she do? She begins to sing. Rejoice, celebrate, sing. We're going to sing in just a moment. She finally begins to rejoice. 
And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on. All generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And yet, she realizes she lives in a fallen world. Okay? This is an all heartwarming story here. Okay? Because it's still a fallen world. Guess what? We still have cancer. We still have illness, sickness, death. We still have divorce. We have rejection. We have creed, agreed, corruption. We have all of that. It's still there. So her song goes on. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Why would he need to... Why would he need to do that? Scatter those who are proud. This is us, by the way. We've overcome it because we've turned to the Lord. It's still a fallen world. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Why does he need need to bring down rulers from their thrones? Guess what? They have the same scenario we do. A different form of government, but they still had corruption and greed, and they had people making really stupid and bad decisions. Some of the rulers were really evil, just like ours. I don't know which are, which aren't, but they still had the same thing. Okay? He has lifted up the humble. Why does he have to lift up the humble? Because the humble are the quiet ones. They're the ones that get trampled on. He has lifted up the hungry with good things. He has to lift up the hungry. Leviticus says the whole reason God gave the law was that there would be no poor among you. Why? Why does he have to feed the poor, the hungry? Because it's a fallen world. He has sent the rich away. Why does he have to send the rich away? Why? Because all throughout the history of the world, it's typically the rich who extort the poor and step on them. That's why I love having some rich believers in our church because they have the Holy Spirit and they think differently. Typically, that's not how the rich think. Okay? She is very aware that she's about to give birth to the Messiah in a very broken world. So then she goes on. And look how she concludes. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Why? Because he promised. What do we do at communion? On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why would he say that? Because we're so quick to forget. That's why. You forget that fast. What he's saying is, I remembered the covenant. So you remember me, Emmanuel. I came to live with you. Luke is filled with more references to joy and rejoicing than any of the other gospels. And guess what? He's also filled with more stories of sorrow. This is the world we live in. The first advent for the people in darkness would be a Messiah would come. He came, and all he did was bring about redemption. He did one more. We'll talk about this in a minute. He brought about forgiveness of sins. That's what was needed. That's what was needed. But he didn't fix the earth and everything on it. So our advent is looking forward to when he comes back, the new heavens and the new earth where we don't have corruption and greed, we don't have poor. We don't have any of that. 
the physical manifestation of the kingdom will come, the new heavens and the new earth. Not yet. So what do we say? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's our advent. And so in between that, we look at the things that he brought during the first advent to carry us through the second advent. One is the Spirit. But the other one is the fruit of the Spirit. This is a model. Mary is a model in a fallen world how God is very tender with us. Isaiah talks about his tender mercies. He's gracious. He's kind. He's gentle with us. He is. Because what we find in the Bible where it's filled with joy and sorrow, we're going to read through the minor prophets starting after Christmas, and here's what we're going to see. For the faithful, there's joy. For the world, there's sorrow and judgment. That's what we're going to see. He brought all this to us in the first advent so that we can live life and begin to experience only what's coming when everything's going to be put to rights. The world's going to be what it was created to be. And we're going to live a life like we were supposed to live with all the joy that comes with it. So joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Joy is the second one. Peace, patience. Okay, and where does that come from? It comes from walking faithfully by the Spirit. Don't give up. Don't quit. Some of you are at at the end of the line, end of your rope. You can't hardly handle anymore. Don't quit yet. Don't give up. The best is just around the corner. I've said many times, if you're not experiencing that joy, that peace, don't worry about it. That just means you're just a little bit too far away from the Lord. Take a step closer to the Lord and you'll feel it and you'll taste it because it comes. it's a gift to us by the Spirit for walking faithfully. So if you're too far away, just step a little closer. Find your Christian friends, find your churches, those of you that are visitors, those of you live here, come to our church, go to another church. Just step closer to the Lord and you will taste that incredible gift that he brought in the first advent to, to solidify our hope the certainty that we will make it to the second one. What's our prayer? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So now we're going to celebrate. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for sending us your son, not forgetting us, Emmanuel, sending him to be with us, to live with us. Thank you for sending us your spirit uh, that just reflects your kindness so that we're never alone again. And Lord, uh, come quickly. We long for a world that the Bible dreams of. We know it's coming. Give us the strength to, uh, and the wisdom to know how to live life and the courage to live it out in faith. In your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.